Chapter Nine of A Popular History of Ireland, Book Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Popular History of Ireland from the Earliest Period to the Emancipation of the Catholics, Book Four, by Thomas Darcy McGee. Chapter Nine: Events of the Thirteenth Century. The Normans in Munster and Leinster. We have already told the tragic fate of the two adventurers, Fitzstephen and de Cogan, between whom the whole of Desmond was first partitioned by Henry the Second. But there were not wanting other claimants, either by original grant from the crown, by intermarriage with Irish or Norman-Irish heiresses, or newcomers, favourites of John or of Henry the Third, or of their ministers, enriched at the expense of the native population. Thomas, third son of Maurice Fitzgerald, claimed partly through his uncle Fitzstephen, and partly through his marriage with the daughter of another early adventurer, Sir William Morey, whose vast estates on which his descendants were afterwards known as the Earls of Desmond, the White Knight, the Knight of Glynn, and the Knight of Kerry. Robert de Carew and Patrick de Courcy claimed as heirs-general to de Cogan. The de Moriscos, de Baris, and Lepores were not extinct, and finally, Edward I, soon after his accession, granted the whole land of Thoman to Thomas de Clare, son of the Earl of Gloucester, and son-in-law of Maurice, the third Baron of Offaly. A contest very similar to that which was waged in Connaught between the O'Connors and the de Burghs was consequently going on in Munster at the same time, between the old inhabitants and the new claimants, of all three classes just indicated. The Principality of Desmond, containing angles of Waterford and Tipperary, with all Cork and Kerry, seemed, at the beginning of the thirteenth century, in greatest danger of conquest. The O'Callaghans, lords of Kinalaida, in the south of Cork, were driven into the mountains of Dunhallow, where they rallied and held their ground for four centuries. The O'Sullivans, originally settled along the Sur, about Clonmel, were forced towards the mountain sea-coast of Cork and Kerry, where they acquired new vigour in the less fertile soil of Bear and Bontry. The native families of the Dacies, from their proximity to the port of Waterford, were harassed and overrun, and the ports of Dungarvan, Yungle, and Cork, being also taken and garrisoned by the founder of the earldom of Desmond, easy entrance and egress by sea could always be obtained for his allies, auxiliaries, and supplies. It was when these dangers were darkening and menacing on every side, that the family of McCarthy, under a succession of able and vigorous chiefs, proved themselves worthy of the headship of the Eugenian race. Cormac McCarthy, who had expelled the first garrison from Waterford, ere he fell in a parley before Cork, had defeated the first enterprises of Fitzstephen and de Cogan. He left a worthy son in Donald Nakura, who, uniting his own co-relations and acting in conjunction with O'Brien and O'Connor, retarded by his many exploits the progress of the invasion in Munster. He recovered Cork and raised King John's castle at Notgraffin on the Sur. He left two surviving sons, of whom the eldest, Donald Gott, or the Stammerer, took the title of Moor, or Great, and his posterity remained Princes of Desmond, until that title merged in the earldom of Glencar, A.D. 1565. The other, Cormac, after taking his brother prisoner, compelled him to acknowledge him as lord of the four baronies of Carbury. From this Cormac the family of McCarthy Reg descended, and to them the O'Driscolls, O'Donovans, O'Mahonies, and other Eugenian houses became tributary. The chief residence of McCarthy Reg was long fixed at Dunmanway. His castles were also at Baltimore, Castlehaven, Laufine, and Inniskirken and Clear Island. 
The power of McCarthy Moore extended at its greatest reach from Tralee and Kerry to Lismore in Waterford. In the year 1229, Dermid McCarthy had peaceable possession of Cork, and founded the Franciscan monastery there. Such was his power, that according to Hamner and his authorities, the Geraldines dare not for twelve years put plough into the ground in Desmond. At last another generation rose, and fierce family feuds broke out between the branches of the family. The lord of Carberry was now Finine, or Florence, the most celebrated man of his name, and one whose power naturally encroached upon the possession of the elder house. John, son of Thomas Fitzgerald of Desmond, seized the occasion to make good the enormous pretension of his family. In the expedition which he undertook for this purpose, in the year 1260, he was joined by the justiary, William Dean, by Walter de Burgo, Earl of Ulster, by Walter de Riddlesford, Baron of Bray, by Donald Rowe, chief of the hostile house of McCarthy. The Lord of Carberry united under his standard the chief Eugenian families, not only of the coast, but even of McCarthy Moore's principality, and the battle was fought with great ferocity at Callan Glen, near Kenmar in Kerry. There the Anglo-Normans received the most complete defeat they had yet experienced on Irish ground. John Fitz Thomas, his son Maurice, eight barons, fifteen knights, and countless numbers of common soldiers were slain. The monastery of Tralee received the dead body of its founder and his son, while Florence McCarthy, following up his blow, captured and broke down in swift succession all the English castles in his neighbourhood, including those of Macroom, Dunamark, Dunlow, and Kilorglan. In besieging one of these castles, called Ringrone, the victorious chief, in the full tide of conquest, was cut off, and his brother, called the Athalarach, or suspended priest, succeeded to his possessions. The death of the victor arrested the panic of the defeat, but Munster saw another generation before her invaders had shaken off the depression of the battle of Callan Glen. Before the English interests had received the severe blow in the south, a series of events had transpired in Leinster, going to show that its aspiring barons had been seized with the madness which precedes destruction. William, Earl Marshal and protector of England during the minority of Henry III, had married Isabella, the daughter of Strongbow and granddaughter of Dermid, through whom he assumed the title of Lord of Leinster. He procured the office of Earl Marshal of Ireland, originally conferred on the first de Lacy, for his own nephew, and thus converted the de Lacys into mortal enemies. His son and successor Richard, having made himself obnoxious, soon after his accession to that title, to the young king, or to Hubert de Burgh, was outlawed, and letters were dispatched to the justiciary, Fitzgerald, to de Burgo, de Lacy, and other Anglo-Irish lords, if he landed in Ireland, to seize his person, alive or dead, and send it to England. Strong in his estates and alliances, the young earl came, while his enemies employed the wily Joffrey de Montmorris to entrap him into a conference, in order to his destruction. The meeting was appointed for the first day of April, 1234, and while the outlawed earl was conversing with those who had invited him, an affray began among their servants by design. He himself was mortally wounded, and carried to one of Fitzgerald's castles, where he died. He was succeeded in his Irish honours by three of his brothers, who all died without heirs male. Anselma, the last Earl Marshal of his family, dying in 1245, left five co-heiresses, Maud, Joan, Isabel, Sybil, and Ava, between whom the Irish estates, or such portions of them in actual possession, were divided. They married respectively the Earls of Norfolk, Suffolk, Gloucester, Ferrers, and Brouse, or Brace, Lord of Brecknock, 
in whose families, for another century or more, the secondary titles were Catherlog, Kildare, Wexford, Kilkenny, and Lakes, these five districts being supposed, most absurdly, to have come into the martial family from the daughter of Strongbow. The false knights and dishonoured nobles concerned in the murder of Richard Marshall were disappointed of the prey which had been promised them, the partition of his estates. And such was the horror which the deed excited in England, that it hastened the fall of Hubert de Burgh, though Maurice Fitzgerald, of Offaly, ancestor of the Kildare family, having cleared himself of all complicity in it by oath, was continued as justiciary for ten years longer. In the year 1245, for his tardiness in joining the King's army in Wales, he was succeeded by the false-hearted Geoffrey de Montmorris, who held the office till 1247. During the next twenty-five years, about half as many justices were placed and displaced, according to the whim of the successive favourites at the English court. In 1252, Prince Edward, afterwards Edward I, was appointed with the title of Lord Lieutenant, but never came over. Nor is there, in the series of rulers we have numbered, with perhaps two exceptions, any who have rendered their names memorable by great exploits, or lasting legislation. So little inherent power had the incumbents of the highest office, unless when they employed their own proper forces in their sovereign's name, that we read without surprise how the bold mountaineers of Wicklow, at the opening of the century, A.D. 1209, slaughtered the Bristolians of Dublin, engaged at their archery in Cullenswood, and at the close of it, how one of the Kavanaugh's of the blood of McMurrah, living at Leinster, displayed his standards within sight of the city. Yet this is commonly spoken of as a country overrun by a few score Norman knights in a couple of campaigns. The maintenance of the conquest was in these years less the work of the king's justices than of the great houses. Of these the two principally profited, by the untimely felling of that great tree which overshadowed all others in Leinster, the marshals. The descendants of the eldest son of Maurice Fitzgerald clung to their Leinster possessions, while their equally vigorous cousins pushed their fortunes in Desmond. Maurice, grandson of Maurice, and second baron of Offaly, from the year 1229 to the year 1246, was three times Lord Justice. He was a valiant knight, a very pleasant man, and inferior to none in the kingdom, by Matthew Paris's account. He introduced the Franciscan and Dominican orders into Ireland, built many castles, churches, and abbeys at Yogel, at Sligel, at Armagh, at Maynooth, and in other places. In the year 1257 he was wounded in single combat by O'Donnell, lord of Tyrconnell, near Sligo, and died soon after in the Franciscan habit in Yogel. He left his successor so powerful, that in the year 1264, there being a feud between the Geraldines and de Burghs, he seized the Lord Justice and the whole de Burgh party at a conference at Castle Dermot, and carried them to his own castles of Lee and Dunamays as prisoners. In 1272, on the accidental death of the Lord Justice Audley, by a fall from his horse, the council elected this the third baron of Offaly in his stead. The family of Butler were of slower growth, but of equal tenacity with the Geraldines. They first seemed to have attached themselves to the marshals, for whom they were indebted for their first holdings in Kilkenny. At the conference of Castle Dermot, Theobald Butler, the fourth in descent from the founder of the house, was numbered among the adherents of de Burgh, but a few years later we find him the ally of the Geraldines in the invasion of Thomond. In the year 1247 the title of Lord of Carrick had been conferred on him, which in 1315 was converted into Earl of Carrick, and this again into that of Ormond. The butlers of this house, when they had attained their growth of power, became the hereditary rivals of the Kildare Geraldines, 
whose earldom dates from 1316, as that of Ormond does from 1328, and Desmond from 1329. The name of Maurice, the third Baron of Offaly, and uncle of John, the first Earl of Kildare, draws our attention naturally to the last enterprise of his life, the attempt to establish his son-in-law, Thomas de Clare, in possession of Thomond. The de Clares, Earls of Gloucester, pretended a grant from Henry II of the whole of Thomond, as their title to invade that principality, but their real grant was bestowed by Edward I in the year 1275. The state of the renowned patrimony of Brian had long seemed to invite such an aggression. Murtogh, the son of Donald Moore, who succeeded his father in 1194, had early signalized himself by capturing the castles of Beer, Kennedy, Ballyrone, and Lothra in Lex, and raising them to the ground. But these castles were reconstructed in 1213, when the feuds between the rival O'Briens, Murtogh and Donagh Herber, had paralyzed the defence force of Thomond. It was doubtless, in the true divide-and-conquer spirit, that Henry III's advisers confirmed to Donagh the lordship of Thomond in 1220, leaving to his elder brother the comparatively barren title of King of Munster. Both brothers, by alternately working on their hopes and fears, were thus for many years kept in a state of dependence on the foreigner. One gleam of patriotic virtue illuminates the annals of the House of O'Brien during the first forty years of the century, when, in the year 1225, Donagh Kerbra assisted Phelim O'Connor to resist the Anglo-Norman army, then pouring over Connaught, in the quarrel of de Burgh. Connor, the son of Donagh, who succeeded his father in the year 1242, animated by the example of his cotemporaries, made successful war against the invaders of his province, more especially in the year 1257, and the next year attended with O'Connor the meeting at Belik, on the Erne, where Brian O'Neill was acknowledged by both the Munster and the Connaught Prince as Ardrig. The untimely end of this attempt at national union will be hereafter related. Meantime, we proceed to mention that in 1260 the Lord of Thomond defeated the Geraldines and their Welsh auxiliaries at Kilbarren in Clare. He was succeeded the following season by his son, Brian Rowe, in whose time Thomas de Clare again put to the test of battle his pretensions to the Lordship of Thomond. It was in the year 1277 that, supported by his father-in-law, the Kildare Fitzgerald, de Clare marched into Munster, and sought an interview with the O'Brien. The relation of gossip, accounted sacred among the Irish, existed between them, but Brian Rowe, having placed himself credulously in the hands of his invaders, was cruelly drawn to pieces between two horses. All Thomond rose in arms, near Dunagh, son of Brian, to revenge this infamous murder. Near Ennis the Normans met a terrible defeat, from which de Clare and Fitzgerald fled for safety into the neighbouring church of Quinn. But Donagh O'Brien burned the church over their heads, and forced them to surrender at discretion. Strange to say they were held to ransom, on condition, we may suppose, sufficiently hard. Other days of blood were yet to decide the claims of the family of de Clare. In 1287, Turlogh, then the O'Brien, defeated an invasion similar to the last, in which Thomas de Clare was slain, together with Patrick Fitzmaurice of Kerry, Richard Tafe, Richard de Rettier, Nicholas Steeling, and other knights, and Gerald, the fourth Baron of Offaly, brother-in-law to de Clare, was mortally wounded. After another interval, Gilbert de Clare, son of Thomas, renewed the contest, which he bequeathed to his brother Richard. This Richard, whose name figures more than his brother's in the events of his time, made a last effort, in the year 1318, to make good the claims of his family. On the 5th of May in that year he fell in battle against McCarthy and O'Brien, 
and there fell with him Sir Thomas de Nas, Sir Henry Capel, Sir James and Sir John Conton, with four other knights, and a proportion of men-at-arms. From thenceforth that proud offshoot of the House of Gloucester, which, at its first settling in Munster, flourished as bravely as the Geraldines themselves, came extinct in the land. Such were the varying fortunes of the two races in Leinster and Munster, and such the men who rose and fell. We must now turn to the contest as maintained at the same period in Meath and Ulster. End of chapter 9